Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Thanksgiving is in the books, maybe not the food, but it's still in the refrigerator and everywhere else, uh, and maybe on our bodies. But uh, we had 28 days till Christmas. Uh, Anybody excited about that? All right, good. There's some excitement there. Uh, I don't know how you did this past week. Somebody asked me, uh, I'll not call him out, Don Overstreet, if I gained any weight over the week. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, you you check, out, check out the scales for yourself. Did you eat your vegetables uh, at, at, uh, at Thanksgiving? You know, I'll come back for, in fact, let's say this. Um, how many of y'all went back for seconds at some point this weekend? Raise your hand. Okay, confession. Did you go back for seconds on your veggies? All right. Listen, if you're if I if you count sweet potato casserole uh, with all the trimmings and the butter and the egg and the and the and the cinnamon and the sugar, I went back for seconds on my veggies as well. Uh, I don't know if it's still a vegetable at that point or when when does it convert into a dessert? Uh, I don't know, but it was awesome. And uh, I want us to talk about something that uh, when it comes to the mealtime, if you think about it, if Christmas Day is the is the favorite thing on the plate. I want us to back up, and I want us to talk about Christmas veggies today. Uh, a horrible segue, but give me some grace. I've got a head cold, okay? Uh, but I want us to talk about something that is of the micronutrients that we need to have in our body, full of the vitamins that we need to really have a healthy understanding of Christmas. So as we talk about Emmanuel, I know you know and I know that that is a, a promise in Scripture that was given uh, years and years ago, uh, back in the 700 BCs. It was given uh, to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 7, but it was also given to Joseph when Joseph found out that his engaged wife, his betrothed wife, was pregnant and it wasn't his child. He was going to divorce her. And at that point, an angel shows up in his life and says these words, Quoting from Isaiah, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. And that's when the scripture really brings into light what was that, that prophecy that was given to Isaiah that now is becoming true in Jesus, that his name would be called Emmanuel. And what is this Emmanuel and how do we unpack that? And in that moment, Joseph changed his mind, stuck with his wife, married her in all of that countercultural thing. But it's just the realization of what the word Emmanuel means. And you probably know it, it means God with us. But let that sink in. God with us, God in us, God for us, God about us. But you know what? That's something we celebrate at Christmas. But really in prayer, pre- preparation for this series, back in July, I was experiencing Christmas in July when I was preparing for this series, thinking about it. I think, no, 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 no. God has always been with us. And we got to understand and see throughout the, the, the time of Scripture that God has been a part of our existence and why did we read from Genesis, why did, I, why did I have little Dylan read from Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is because I think if we're going to really understand the Christmas story of Emmanuel, we need to go back to the beginning of time and have some Christmas vegetables. 
and really understand the micronutrients of, of everything about, about the Christmas story in that this has been building, if you look at a timetable, for 4,000 years from the time of Genesis chapter 1 to the time of its fulfillment. That's a pretty significant amount of time. So there's a lot of time to anticipate Christmas in, the, in, in that span of time. But it, it, I want us to think about what happened, okay? When, when we think about that, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, that word created is a very beautiful word. It's a powerful word. It's a verb in the, in, in the Hebrew language. And it is only, it's the Hebrew word bara. It's used 48 different times in the Old Testament, but every single time that one verb is used, God is always the subject of that verb. Now, why is that significant? Because the Hebrew word bara does not mean you create something from, okay, again, sweet potatoes, and you make it, you put the marshmallows, you put all that stuff in, and then you made something, you created something. Actually, bara means you make something out of nothing. It was formless and void. It was empty and there was nothing out there. And God created it all. And just the beauty of that. And some people kind of get lost in the how he created it. And I don't want to focus on the how. I want to focus on the what. I want to focus on the why of, of, of God's creative order. And understand how that speaks to Emmanuel and how that speaks to God working in our life. Now, a lot of people, again, we get scientists get caught up and creation scientists get caught up in the how. I don't want to focus on the how. The only thing I want to say about the how is that when God spoke, the world became into being. Psalm talks about that. And here's the thing about God. God was not created. Our neighbors across the street believe that God was created, believe that Jesus was a man and he became a God. I believe when I read the New Testament that Jesus was God and he came, became a man while always being God. And so there is a difference between us. We need to understand and appreciate the difference. And God was a part of creation. You know, well, what about Jesus? How does he fit into that? God the Father created it. Jesus wasn't born yet. Jesus has always been. Jesus is a part of the Godhead. He has always been God. And this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. He has spoken to us through his Son. God has spoken to us through his Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. So Jesus was a part of the very beginning of it all. He helped make it. He helped bring it into existence. It was by his voice that it was created. That was the what, the what of creation, but it still doesn't answer the why. Again, we're not going to deal with the how. We're going to deal with the what and the why. Why did God create the world? Well, you have to go back before the world was created to really understand that. You have to enter into the heart and the mind of God before that. In Ephesians chapter 1, we just finished Ephesians, but Ephesians 1, it tells us, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. <clears throat> Excuse me, I do have a cold. But in the midst of this, I want us to understand that God had a plan for a relationship with us before he ever created the first flake of dust. Before he ever created the oceans and the seas. That God had a vision, God had a plan, God had something in mind before the foundations of the earth. He wanted to be in a relationship with us. And Henry Blackaby says so well, God pursues a love relationship with us that is real and personal. 
God wants to be in a relationship with his creation. The reason he created the world, the reason that he created you and I to walk on this earth is so that we could be in relationship with him. That was the big picture. This is the 30,000 look at Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God is with us. Now what we're going to do in the weeks ahead in this Advent season is we're going to look today at God, Emmanuel, in creation. Next week we'll look at God in the desert experiences of our life. Then we're going to talk about how God is in the worship experiences and how that's one of the greatest ways to foster and nurture your, your experience and relationship with God is through acts of worship. But then Lori's going to come on December the 18th and she's going to share a message with you. How does God relate to us in our pains? And then we're going to come back on Christmas Eve and we're going to share in Christ coming to us. How Christ coming to us was so significant in the completion of God being with us, in the completion of the Emmanuel story. Listen, I hope that you'll make the plans to be with us on Christmas Eve. We're going to have three gatherings. If you're going to be in town, please be a part of it. You can, you can text in GPC uh, Christmas to 97000. You can go on our website. You can find your spot, one, three, or five, and be a part of that gathering. Then on Christmas morning, because this is on Saturday, we're not going to be gathering here on Christmas morning. We're at home worship on that day, and we're going to be talking about how God is in us and how he is a part of us and how he's not going to leave us as orphans. So I want you to see the narrative here, that in the beginning of time before time, God was already choosing who would be his children. He created this world not so he could just show off his creation, Orion's belt, so he could show off the Grand Canyon, so he could show off the mighty Rocky Mountains. He didn't do all of that. He did it so that he could be in relationship with us. And as we experience those things and as we're a part of those things, we should be experiencing God in those moments. Emmanuel, God is with us. But here's a question. I want to just hope it sticks in your mind the rest of this morning. God is with us, but you must ask the question, are we with God or am I with God? God is with us, Emmanuel, but am I with God? Are we with God? Are we in a relationship with him? If that's what he created us for, are we there? So again, take your Bibles and open to the very beginning of this book. What we're going to find is from the beginning of this book to the very end of this book. From Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we find God creating this world and being living in relationship with his creation, giving a special place in his creation to humanity. Out of all the creation, he gave a special place and a special uh, relationship with humanity. And then we're going to see chapter 3, how it all kind of falls off the bus. And then we're going to see through the rest of this book until you come to Revelation chapter 21 uh, and, and following. You find that it all falls apart, but we all come back together if you're in a relationship with Jesus. And again, we're not going to preach through the whole Bible, but I want you to understand that this entire book is about God in a relationship with us, God creating us for a relationship, God wanting a relationship with us, God wanting us to be united with him, God wanting us to be in communion with him. That's what I want us to see today as we look at this passage. And I want us to begin in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and I want us to understand there are two core creation truths of Emmanuel. 
And one of those is that God made us for union with him. God made us for union with him, that we would be made to look like him. He wanted us to be like him, look like him in God's original design in his perfect creation. He made humanity and he gave him a special part in that creation story. And whenever you look at the scriptures, you see a five-fold union with God. How are we in a relationship? How, when God made Adam and Eve in the very beginning of time, how was that union? What did it look like in the beginning? Well, you find several times in the very first pages of, uh, of Genesis, you find several of those times that we can look and see how humanity is different from all other, other creation. You find in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says, let us make man or human beings in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Now, there's three key words there that we're going to key in on in just a moment. But you see, it's also going to be repeated in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. And when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, the beauty of the sexes. Not a competitive gender uh, struggle, but the beauty of the identity of the, of, of the sexual expression that God made us in. He blessed them. He named them man and they were created. Genesis chapter 2 verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust and from the ground he breathed into his nostrils. The breath of life and man became a living creature. Now, those three verses right there, those three passages right there, if you just zero in on them, you find a common theme. You find this fivefold uh, connection or union that we have with God that is a part of that Emmanuel relationship. Again, Emmanuel means God with us. The question for us is, are we with God? Am I in a relationship with God? Do I still resemble his image? Do I still look in his likeness? Am I still stewarding the earth as as he's called me to him? Am I still walking in the blessed life that he wants me to walk in? When you break down these unifying works of God in us, you see one of those is dominion. He told told them in, in Genesis 1, 28, he says, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens uh, and of the heavens and over everything living, every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, this is not a political statement. It's a biblical statement. When we have to realize that we are stewards of this earth and as humanity, we better leave it better for the next generation and not just destroy it in our generation. That's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. We've been given to be stewards of his creation. Think about that. Dominion. Blessing. Blessing is one of the words. I don't want you to miss that because that's a beautiful word. We want to be a part of God's blessing. What does the word blessing mean? It means flourishing. It means the idea that I am living a life that is full, that is free, that is, that is full in all the fullness of everything, the potential of everything that God would imagine for me. That I'm walking in that. That I'm living in that. To flourish and not to flounder. To flourish and not to fail. To flourish. God calls us to that. 
Cornelius Plantington wrote an incredible book uh, um, on, and he talks about the idea of uh, of Sabbath and what Sabbath means to be in this restful relationship with God, our Creator. And when we're living in Sabbath, he says flourishing, that we're living the blessed life, the flourishing wholeness and delight, a state of affairs in which the natural needs are satisfied, the natural gifts are fruitfully employed, the state of affairs that inspires a joyful wonder as the creator and savior opens doors and welcomes creatures into whom he delights. Man, there's so much in that. The idea that God has created me to bless me, to give me a life of flourishing. Words like contentment should flow from that. Words like an abiding joy should be embedded in that. Serenity, thriving, and not just surviving. A non-anxious presence is what it means to live a blessed life. You think about this. This is so important to God in the beginning that he blesses us unlike any other creation. He blesses us to flourish unlike any other creation. And he does that. In fact, it's broken in time. And because of it is broken, everything that Jesus Emmanuel does is coming back, trying to restore that. That's why when he's with his disciples, what does he call them to in Matthew chapter five? The blessed flourishing life, the beatitudes you read them for yourself. He calls us back to this this reimagined life that God imagined in the beginning of time. But it's also the word is image. We have God's image. There's been a lot of ink spilt over the word image and what it means and, and what, is it, what is it still there and do we still have that image of God? This word is used 16 times in the Old Testament. The idea of image is the idea of reflection. It's more than just material. It's more than just neurological that we, are, we look like him and we physically are like him. But that could be part of, a part of the makeup of God is that we are carrying part of that. But it does mean this. It means we're the representation of him. We are the reflection of him. And whatever means that may mean, that when God created humanity, we were made to be the replica of our father, creator, Jesus. Let that sink in. Because everything that Jesus does is trying to bring us back the way God originally designed us. Back to the blessing. Back to good stewardship. Back to the image of God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. So when God saves us, when God gives us new life, when God redeems us and restores us, where is he restoring us back to? He's trying to take us back to God's perfect creation. Think about that. The beauty of the union that God wants to have with us, but it's not only his image, it's also his likeness. This is the only time in Scripture that these two nouns appear together. This word image appears 26 times in the Old Testament, and it really refers to his character. My character should be the character of my creator. 
So whenever I'm thinking about what my values are, when I talk about my integrity, how does my life, my character, how does it look like my creator? You think about when a child is born and the beauty of that child. And what, one of the first things I always look for is who do they look like? Do they look like mother? Do they look like the father? You got the baby photos and you start comparing them. What are you doing? You're looking for that genetic connection. And especially if they look like you, man, as a granddad or a gr- man, he's like, that child looks like me. They don't look like anything like you, but you think they do. The point is, is that we want, as the creator, you want your reflection to be in your creation. There's this nature-nurture thing that goes on. And when God created this world, when Emmanuel created this world, he created us to look like him, to be like him, to live in the flourishing life that he created us. That's the union of God that he calls us to, that he made us for. Emmanuel, am I looking? Am I listening? Am I leading Am I loving more like Jesus today than yesterday? Now, that may be a hard thing to say after family just left town, but think about it. Breath. Again, these are all unique qualities that God did for humanity. You go back and read when he made the stars, when he made the earth, when he made the waters, when he made the heavens, when he made it all, when he made the animals and the fish. He, he did certain ones of these, but he did not do all five of these. This is very unique to the humanity because he wanted a special connection with us. And the only one he breathed his breath into was humanity. He only breathed his breath into Adam. And then subsequently from Adam into Eve. This is not God doing CPR on Adam. This is where I believe, and I'm not the only one who believes this. This is where I believe that God breathes into us our eternal spirit. See, we need to understand that, I'm, that we aren't a body with a spirit. We are a spirit with a body. If you don't know this, your body's dying. Go look in the mirror. Compare some photos of old to the photos of today. Our bodies are dying, but our spirit will live forever. This is a part of the union that we share with our God. That is a beautiful reality. Do you live in that? Do you walk in that? Because here's what happened. You know the story as I do. That's Genesis 1 and 2. But the reality is Genesis 3 happens. And when man falls off the bus and things begin to fall apart, this begins to shatter. This begins to unravel. And all of a sudden, now God has to intervene. He has to send his Emmanuel in the bodily form, in the physical, into time and space to bring it back because this is no longer how we live. We are no longer flourishing. We are no longer living in this life. But here's the life principle for us today is that God made us to be like him. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's such a truth in that. And when Jesus comes to this earth and he begins to call his disciples, he begins that process of redemption. There's a process of bringing life and blessing and flourishing in the image and the likeness of God back into humanity. When he does that, listen to this. Oh, it's so beautiful because he calls us to follow him. And when he calls us to follow him, 
He didn't call us, as I said a few weeks ago, to be Christians. He called us to be followers. When he calls us to follow him, that's calling us to be as Jesus is and to do as Jesus does. At the very core of who I am, I'm beginning to look and listen and lead and love more like Jesus. I begin to feel it inside of me. I begin to express it on the outside of me. Other people are beginning to see that Jesus in me coming out of me. That's what he's called us to. And that's what Jesus comes as Emmanuel. It's what we just talked about in Ephesians. We talked about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, that we're called to walk in the manner worthy of our calling. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're, we're called to be imitators of God. Uh, we're called to be imitators of God. In chapter 5, we're called to be filled with the Spirit. All of that is about us looking like our Creator. Looking, leading, loving, listening more like Jesus. I need to be as Jesus is to do as Jesus does. I want to get back to that grand and beautiful design. Whenever Lori and I were just moved to Africa, you gotta realize my idea of camping was glamping. And we were called to be missionaries in Africa and many times would call us to call, go as a family out into the bush, set up a camp, camp by the, by the fire, live life in a very rural, very uh, uh, undeveloped world. We drew our water from the well. We, we, we used a porta potty I mean, it was, there was nothing about it. I had no clue how to do that. So we go over and we move over and, and I thought, well, we need to figure this part out. And so, uh, so I, I decide that I, I'm going to go camping and do a dry run on this. And so another missionary and I, he brought his son, I brought my oldest son, Caleb, and we all went out and went camping. This is us as we loaded up the truck. He's got his knife, plastic knife. I've got my Leatherman, and we're ready to go hunt lions. And where we go, we go to Chobe Game Reserve, and we're living in the camp. And listen, it was, it was wild enough that 100 yards from our house, there was a puff adder snake. If you don't know what a puff adder is, go look it up online when you get home. You do not want to be bitten by a puff adder. It was 100 yards from our camp. And it's like, okay, we're going out there, we're packing up. And literally, this is a photo that was taken moments after we packed up the truck and we're heading out. And Caleb made one statement to me to this day means everything to me. We loaded it up, him not knowing that I knew very little about camping. He said this, he said, Daddy, after we loaded it all up, would you teach me everything you know? I cried. I can, if I think about it long enough, I'll start crying right here. The responsibility of that, the magnitude of that, the trust of that, the relationship of that, the union of that. I want you to teach me everything you know. And I think about my relationship with my heavenly father, Jesus, my Emmanuel. Do I want Jesus to teach me everything he knows? Because I want to be like Jesus. So, when God created us, it wasn't just to show off his handiwork. It was to be in a relationship with us, to be in a union with us. But number, number two, God made us for communion with him. That not only would we, would, would, would we be like him, but also we would be with him. Emmanuel, God with us, but am I with God? Do I have the relationship with God? And you go to chapter three, verse eight, you see this in 
this incredible thing that happens. And if you know the, the story, is they kind of get off the, the, the relationship with God, obey, obeying him kind of track, and I'll have time to tell the whole story. But if you go to verse 8, you'll find that they literally run from his presence. Emmanuel, God is with us, but now all of a sudden you see Adam and Eve fleeing his presence. So I ask you that question again. Emmanuel means God with us, but I want to ask you, are you with God? Or are you running? Throw that verse up there, guys. Are you running and hiding from the presence of the Lord? That is a daunting reality that so many of us don't fully grasp. That what sin did when sin entered into our life is this. Sin breaks our union with God and interrupts our communion with God. He made us for union. He made us that we would be united, that we would be one. He also made us for communion with him. That we would live in a relationship that would grow, that we could have conversations, that we could carry on and go deeper in, in those relationships, that we would look like him, be like him, but we would also be in this communion with him. But the problem is sinners in the world, as Isaiah says, as your iniquities have separated you from God. Every one of us has to wake up one day to the reality of that right there. If you've never woken up to that reality, maybe today is that day where you wake up to the reality that I have been separated from God. And what happens when that union and that communion is broken is there are five moves that you'll see in the life of Adam and Eve. One is that they were living by the wrong voices. When you look in Genesis chapter one, it says that there was the crafty voice of the serpent more crafty than anything. Now, don't get caught up in the snake scene. Satan can manifest himself in whatever way it takes to get us. The fact that I want you to focus in on, who are they listening to? Who is Eve listening to? Who you listen to will be who shapes you. If you've lost the communion with Jesus, you're no longer listening to Jesus. We're going to spend all of January and February just dealing with that old crafty serpent and how to fight against the darkness of this world. Number two is they begin to doubt God's word. You see this digression. Did God really actually say? When we begin to question and doubt God's word and truth, we begin to separate ourselves further and further from the union and communion that he desired for us. Listen, that's not only atheists out there who believe this. What bothers me are Christians who live as practical atheists. That means they profess Christ in word, but they do not live in a relationship in communion with Christ in living it out day to day. But then there's this unfiltered passion that comes. In verse 6, it says, The woman saw and the tree was good. Notice all these things. This, again, digression. That it was a delight to her eyes that, uh, that the tree was to be desired and make one wise. 
And she took the fruit and she ate. And again, I'm not doing justice to the passage, very high level, just to show you the union that God and the communion that God called us to is now broken and we're no longer in union and we're no longer in communion until Emmanuel comes. But notice the digression here. We live in the same thing. We see things, we, we want things, we take things. When you live a life with passion as your filter, you see it, you like it, you want it, and you take it. And that's what this world tells you to do. But if you remember back from a few weeks ago in a message in Ephesians, this is the filter of those who walk in the live in the light. What is it good? What is right? And what is true? What is pleasing to God? If we live by which filter are we living out our lives? Good, right, true, pleasing to God. Good, right, true, pleasing to God. Or what we see, what we want, what we like, and what we take. If you remember in Ephesians, it tells us, it calls us to Ephesians 5, 10 and verse 17, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. When you're making your choices, is this pleasing to the Lord? And don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. But also, number four, you'll notice again, it continues to digress. Again, it's just tearing apart the union and communion because they don't run to God, they run from God. And when an opportunity happens and the fracture happens in the relationship and the union and communion with God, instead of running to God, as we just read a few moments ago, they run and hide from God. What a story. Again, a whole message unto itself. Number five is they hide in shame and blame. Whenever you go on and you read in verse 9 and 10, the Lord called to the man. Why? Because Jesus wanted to be in union communion with them. He wanted to be with them in the cool of the evening. He wanted to walk with them. He wanted to be with them. But are we with God? Have we? And listen, God didn't move away. Did we move away? Did we run from him instead of running to him? Where are you, he asked. They said, I heard a sound in the garden. And notice what this first words out of their mouth. First words, first words. I was afraid. Let me just say this. The first time fear shows up in scripture is because sin had entered the heart. Fear is of Satan. So many of us are, I'm crippled at times by fear. And I realize it's not of God. So they went And they hid themselves. In verse 12, he goes on and he blames the woman. The woman you gave me. Turns to shame and to blame. The thing is, is that this is true of Adam and Eve. And we can parse this all out. But you know what? Look at David. David was a king, a mighty king after God's own heart. One day, just one day made, I've said it before. You're only one decision away from stupid. Well, this was one of those stupid decisions that David made. He's up on the rooftop. He should be, be with all the other kings, uh, uh, with his soldiers, but he's not. He's up on the rooftop. He's looking down. He sees a beautiful woman. And instead of turning away from that, he leans into it. Again, he sees it. He likes it. He wants it. And he takes it. So he does. He calls Bathsheba to himself. And then he has to deal with the consequences of that. And then it leads to another sin of killing Uriah. It leads to just this brokenness that enters into this world. And for one year, scholars believe, David ran from God. And when he ran from God, this is what was going on inside of David. 
Psalm 32, when he finally confesses, he says, I wept, I kept silent. When I did not confess my sins, I kept silent. My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David literally lived a life of anxiety and stress and fear because he didn't deal with his sin. He ran from God instead of running to God. The longer we linger in sin, the more distant God becomes. You feel like he's far off from you? Examine your heart, examine your union, examine your communion with God. And notice when, when David does pray in Psalm 51, it's literally his writing out of his prayer to God. He says this, create in me a clean heart. Oh God, and renew a, light, a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. He had lost the union and communion. Cast me not, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Emmanuel, God with us, but are we with God? Am I with God? You know, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it brings us to a reality, and it's only appropriate today that we close our service with a time of what some call communion or the Lord's Supper. We remember back, to why Jesus Emmanuel came. He came because our union and our communion was broken. The way he designed us, we were no longer living under his design. The problem is is that some people are like David, they run and they don't lean in, they hide and they don't come clean. They blame instead of owning their own junk. They're always the victim and never the causer of the brokenness. This is what 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, is if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We aren't self-aware. We live in self-denial. We're always a victim. We don't have the problem. The other people are the problem. And we've got to first look at our own soul. Have we lost communion and union with others? Have we lost communion and union with God? How do you deal with that? How do you deal with verse 8? You go to verse 9. If we confess, if we confess our sins. Now before I read on, if we confess our sins, what? That's what we do. We agree with God. God, I am, I've done wrong. God, I've sinned. I've, 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 I've not lived in accordance with your will. I've not done what is right and what is good and what is true and what is pleasing to you. Because I've lived that way, it's broken our relationship, God, and I want to be in a right relationship with you. And when it says confession, it's agreeing with God about what your life looks like. It doesn't mean you have to go laundry list out everything you've done wrong in your life. You're going to forget things and you're going to add things while you're even writing that list out but it's living in a heart of agreement with God. God, this is wrong. I'm gonna get right with you again. And what does God do? He does the rest. He is faithful. He is just. He forgives us our sins. He cleanses us from all our unrighteousness. This meal doesn't do this. This meal symbolizes it. So I challenge you today before we even open this and we're about to take it. I want to first challenge you. Are you living 
in a healthy union with God? Do you know Jesus as your Emmanuel? Is your God in a relationship with Jesus? Are you living in sweet communion with him? Or are you running from him? If you have not entered into a relationship with Jesus, in fact, I want us all right now just to bow our heads and pray for those around you if you're already in a relationship with Jesus. Pray for those next to you, in front of you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not in a relationship with him right now, just say, Jesus, I give myself to you. Jesus, I confess I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I need you to restore me to union and communion with you. Only Jesus can do that. If we confess, he is faithful. He is just. He will cleanse us. He will make us right. If you're here today, you're in a relationship with him, but it's maybe lost the sweetness. You've wandered. Say, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, don't let your spirit go from me as David prayed. Don't, don't, don't. I don't want to walk. I don't want to lose your presence. I want to be with Emmanuel. Father God, you know our hearts. And as, Father, we take this bread, as we take this cup, we do this today in remembrance of you and everything that you did for us. That you are God with us but you call us to be in relationship with you. We take this wafer as a symbol of your body lived out for us. And we take this cup as a symbol of your blood spilt for us so that we can be in relationship, united again with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Take the, take the bread. The bread is a symbol of his body, of him, Emmanuel, coming and putting on flesh and nearing into time to restore us to that union and communion. But without the shed blood of Christ, there can be no forgiveness of sin. We take the cup in remembrance of his blood poured out for us. And they drink. Let us stand and worship about the God who came to be with us. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.